Good morning. It's good to gather here with you and gather with those that are online uh, this morning. If you have your Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter 31 if you would rise for the reading of God's Word with me this morning. That's page 25 in the Pew Bible. Well, we don't have Pew Bibles. Not yet, at least. We will be looking at Genesis 31. It's an entire, that's 55 verses. I will only read the first three. This is the Word of the Lord. Genesis 31, verse 1 through 3. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob is taking all that was our father's, and from what our father's he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your father's, and to your kindred, and I will be with you. You may be seated. Maybe you be blessed by the reading of God's Word this morning. Just as a way of announcements, uh, there aren't many. Uh, we will start back Wednesday evening for our children. Uh, on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, as we gather in here, our children will once again gather uh, down on the hall uh, with Miss Jerry. Uh, they will be dropped off at the door uh, the same way as they're dropped off this morning. So, if you have children, please bring them on Wednesday night and we'll have something for them as we have a Bible study for us as well. Let me pray for us and then we're going to jump into God's holy word this morning. God, I'm grateful to gather with your people. I pray that we would never take that for granted. I pray if anything, what these last seven to eight months has shown us is our need to gather and not just to gather on a screen, but to gather in person. You've called us, your desire for us is so clear in Acts that we would come together as often as possible to break bread with one another, to fellowship with one another, to pray with one another, to exhort one another in and through your word. We are grateful for the means to do that through technology, but technology was never meant to replace the gathering of the saints. So I pray that that would continue to be pressed on us and our desire for that would continue to grow. Uh, to be with one another in the company of one another and in your company. I pray for us this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture, I pray that uh, we would see the Gospel in it. So often when we come to the Old Testament, we uh, it's hard for us to navigate, to see Jesus in the passages of the Old Testament. But Jesus, You told us as You walked with those men uh, to the road of Emmaus, that You opened up Your Scriptures to them from the prophets all the way through, you revealed yourself to them. And I pray that would be true for us again this morning here in Genesis chapter 31, that you would reveal yourself to us. That this is just not a story that's woven into a book called Genesis, but this is a story that's woven into the history of redemption. The history of how you came to rescue your people and to create a people for yourself, the church. So this passage of Scripture has great meaning for us today. Even though it was written 4,000 years ago, it's valuable for us in our hearts today. So I pray that You would lead us and guide us. We'd humble ourselves under Your mighty hand and You would direct us this morning. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll look at uh, several things in this passage. This, If you've been with us through the study of Genesis, you know that the book of Genesis is all about God's promises and that God is made promises to us His people. Not only that He has made promises to us, but He 
will always be faithful to fulfill His promise. The promise that we see throughout uh, the book of Genesis, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, is this, that God loves His people. And because God loves His people, and because God's people rebelled against them, there was sin that separated God from His people. And But God's great love was shown to us that He wanted to be reconciled to us. And so He made us a promise in Genesis chapter 3 that one day He would send a Savior to reconcile a lost, broken world back to Himself through His Son, Jesus. And we've seen that throughout. We'll see that again here in this text. This is just not one of the many stories that make up the Genesis account. But this story for us has huge applications. We're in the middle of Jacob's journey. Jacob is one of the patriarchs of Israel. If you know and you've been with us, it's uh, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. The, he is a patriarch of the, the, the Jewish people, of the Israel, uh, the Israelites. Where we've left off Jacob is that he's been serving Laban, his uncle. Remember that Jacob deceived his brother, deceived his father Isaac, and so his mom said, hey, you've got to flee. Rebecca said, flee because your life is in danger. And so he's been on the run. He's been serving Laban now. We'll see in the text, we've been saying it for 20 years. The first seven years, he served to get married to his wife Rachel, but Laban deceived him. And so he went back to his uncle and said, hey, I I know you've given me Leah, but I really want to be with Rachel. And so he serves him another seven years. The last six years, this is where we're at. This is the end of those six years. He's been serving Laban in his place of his sheep as a herdsman. He's been faithful to do that. We see that again in the text. Well, now as we will see that Jacob's getting more and more powerful. He's, God has blessed him as we looked at last week. And the blessings of God have been poured out on him. And because the blessings of God have been poured out on Jacob, Laban is beginning to realize his wealth and his um, prosperity and his grandeur is decreasing and it's getting put on to Jacob. And we see that in the text. The first thing that we'll see in this text is Jacob's case. Jacob's going to state his case. But what happens is here in verse 31, Jacob says there's two things that we see. The first it says this in the very first three words. Now Jacob heard. Further down in verse 2, it says Jacob saw. So Jacob now hears and sees that there's danger coming. Jacob overhears that Laban and Laban's sons or Laban's herdsmen, that that word son doesn't necessarily mean his direct descendants. It could just be his household. The sons of Laban are talking about how powerful Jacob is becoming. That Jacob is now becoming a threat to them. And so Jacob overhears that. And in overhearing that, he begins to observe that that's true, that now his uncle doesn't see him with great favor. But there's this interesting verse, and I'm glad it's put in there in verse 3. If, if you remember the story of Jacob, oftentimes things happen to Jacob. And Jacob is immediately responding. And, and if you remember, when Jacob sees and hears things before this moment, he leads himself to disaster. Right? Remember, he heard and saw that they looked at his wife, and so he goes and lies about his wife. And what happens? It becomes a disaster for them. And on and on and on we go. But here in verse 3, we begin to see the patience of Jacob. 
And I just wonder for you, church, and I wonder for me how often we hear and we see things. And instead of waiting for the Lord, we quickly respond to things. And in our response, does, if we're not waiting on the Lord and hearing from the Lord, does not our response often lead us to disaster? It never ends well when we hear and see things and immediately respond to them without hearing what God would have for us to do. And oftentimes, it's the complete opposite thing that the Lord would have us do, is it not? I can't tell you, if I just sat up here story after story of all the places that I responded that led me to disaster. But we see that Jacob hears, Jacob sees, but Jacob waits. He waits to hear from the Lord. It says this in verse 3, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred. And what? He makes him the promise again, I will be with you. Now that those few words are going to be crucial for Jacob to remember. Because now Jacob's going to, again, remember he fled before. And in fleeing before, it led to disaster. Well, now he's going to flee back the other direction. And he's going to need to remember those few words. I will be with you. Because in, in about 30 more, 40 more verses, Laban is going to be in hot pursuit of him. And he's going to be terrified again. But if Jacob doesn't have those few words to hold on to, in the moment of his crisis, what will Jacob do again? He'll respond again. That's going to lead to more and more disaster. But we as God's people must remember, God will be with us. That is what He made the promise. That is what Jesus' name means. That's what Emmanuel means. I will be with you. And how often we need to wait for the Lord. And so Jacob waits. And then in waiting, he then says, okay, God's going to be with me. He now goes and pleads his case before his wives. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where the flock was. So he gathers his wives goes into a flock uh, into the field where nobody would, would hear him and he pleads his case. And the case is simply this. For the sake of time, I won't read the entirety of the passage, those uh, 13 verses. But he basically says, hey, your dad is upset with me. Your dad doesn't like me. And we've got to get out of here. Like we got to go. Because this is not going to go well for us if we do not leave. But I wonder if he said to them, it's not there in the text, but I wonder if he said to them, but I know this to be true. As we leave, God will be with us. Because then we see the wives' response in verse 14 and 15. He pleads his case. He says what what happened. He he says that God won't permit him to harm me. And we've got to get out of here. And his wives say in verses 14, 15, and 16, they say this, Then Rachel and Leah, for the first time in their lives, are in agreement. They agree on something finally. And their agreement is this, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our Father's house? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. 
Are we not regarded by Him as foreigners? The answer to that rhetorical question is yes. For He has sold us. That's what you do with foreigners. You sell them. and You don't sell your children. He has indeed devoured all of our money. All of our inheritance. It says this in verse 16. All the wealth that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So he pleads his case to his wives. His wives respond in a godly way and say, yes, we must get out of here. So now he, his wives, his concubines, and his children are all in agreement it's time to go. Not because they're fleeing from somebody, but because God has told them where to go. They're not running from somewhere. They're running to somewhere. They're running to to be in obedience what God has called them to go. Return back to the land. Return back to what I told your father and your grandfather that I want you to be a great nation in a great land in the promised land. It's time for you to return to fulfill my promises that I've set out before my people. So Jacob, in response to his wives, in agreement with his wives, waiting to hear from the Lord, the next thing we see is Jacob's travels. It says this in verse 17, So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. And he drove away all of his livestock, all of his property that he had gained. So here he is, he's moving them out as fast as can be. Why is he moving them out so quickly? We see this in verse 19. He sees this is the time to go. If there's a time to leave, this would be the perfect time. Laban had gone out to shear his sheep. So now is the perfect time for Laban to be distracted so that Jacob and his whole family can leave with no interruption. So he leaves in the cover of the night. He's on the run again. And in his travels, he's wandering. I wonder what's happening in his heart. But there's this one little verse that we have to look at. It's in verse 19. So he leaves. He's on the run. Laban is shearing his sheep with his herdsmen and his sons, so they're distracted. They don't know that he's left. But then circle this in your Bible. Then it says this, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. Like, come on, Rachel. Like, it was all going well. You were obeying God. You were obeying your husband. And somewhere you doubted that God would be with you. You see, that, that little phrase there in that would have been this. She thought that those little gods would bring her prosperity. She thought, if I just take those gods from my father, then those gods are what brought my father prosperity. Then those gods will bring me prosperity. She forgot what her husband had told her back in verse 3. No, no, God is with us. Therefore, God will take care of us. Therefore, God will provide for us. You see, unlike Jacob, Rachel was not waiting for the Lord. She got nervous. She got scared. Anyone ever done that before? Do we not make foolish mistakes? And this mistake would almost cost her her life. We'll see that in a few moments. So they're departed. They're on their journey. They're 
we'll see that they're three days ahead of Laban and his men. But now Laban comes back after shearing all of his sheep, and now he's in hot pursuit of them. We see that in verse 22. It said, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days. So now it's been ten days that they've been on the run, and Jacob's three days ahead of them, but it's going to take them seven days to catch up to them. He followed close after him into the hill country. But God came to Laban in a dream by the night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And then verse 25, the hot pursuit, he finally overtook Jacob. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban and his kinsmen pitched their tents in the hill country. Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? So finally, Laban approaches him, and now Laban is going to confront him. Now at first, the confrontation looks like it's a man that is missing his family and wants to say proper goodbyes, but we'll see what is in the heart of Laban at the very end of the text. So Laban confronts Jacob. What is this that you have done? That you have tricked me again and driven away my daughters, all captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might set you away with things, mirth and songs with tambourine and a lyre? Basically saying, why couldn't I throw you a party in your departure? Now, on the surface, that sounds kind. But if you remember who Laban is, he's a wicked, wicked man. So he's trying to trick, the trickster is again trying to trick Jacob, but Jacob this time won't have any of it. And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. And I, I don't know what happens between verse 28 and 29, but now finally Laban reveals his hand. He reveals it wasn't really about wanting a proper goodbye. He says, is it not my power to do harm to you? He's like, I, I could kill you if I want to. Like He's going to let Jacob know one last time. I still have dominion over you. I still have power over you. But then he says this, but the God of your father spoke to me last night. Catch that one word, your father. The God of your father, not my God. He disregarded God altogether. Now, I don't know how you do that when God appears to you in a dream, but he disregards God again. Saying, be careful, do not say anything to Jacob, neither good or bad. And now you have gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. He says, I know you left because you want to get home. But why did you steal my God's? Laban finally reveals his hand why he's hotly pursuing Jacob. It wasn't because he wanted to kiss his sons. It wasn't because he wanted to throw him a party. It wasn't because he missed him. It wasn't because he loved him. It wasn't because he cared for him. It was simply because, hey, you stole something from me. You stole my gods. That's why I'm pursuing you. Now, if he had been a God-fearing man, he would have cared less about some wooden gods 
that you could stow away in a camel saddle. Because he would have known the same way that God is with Jacob, God will be with me. I don't need these wooden idols to bring prosperity to me. But those wooden gods have brought me prosperity, so I've got to go back after my gods to get mine. I think Jacob had finally had enough. After 20 years of service, after 14 of those years of just slaving away, being tricked, six of those years out in the fields, not being able to take care of themselves or get ahead of the game, finally, Jacob speaks up. And Jacob has a defense. And Jacob answered him in verse 31 and said to Laban, because I was afraid. For I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. And he says this, Anyone whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of your kinsmen, point out what I have done that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Now Jacob had just said to his uncle, hey, if someone stole something of yours, you can kill them. You see, those wooden little gods almost cost Rachel her life. And now we see Laban's search. So he goes into Jacob's tent first. Ironic, isn't it? He really thought Jacob was the thief. He goes there first. Then he goes into Leah's tent. And then into the tent of the two female concubines or the two female servants. But he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and enters into Rachel's tent. Now you'll see how Rachel and Laban are cut from the same cloth. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them into a camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she, He must have been coming closer to her and she speaks up and says to her father, she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of the woman is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. He is again tricked. Basically, she says, hey, like the, the time of woman is upon me. I can't stand up to greet you. Now that sounds odd to begin with, but for them, for a woman to be in a menstrual cycle, that she was unclean. And if she stood up to greet him and touched him, her uncleansliness would have gone on to him. And so he kind of backs off. Like, I, I don't want that. I'm not going to go searching all over there. And so she gets away with one. Laban is tricked. So he comes back out of the tents after searching and says this in verse 35 and 36. It says, then... Jacob had finally had enough. He had seen Laban searching all of his tents, all of his wives, all of his concubines, all of his children. And then it says this, then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Finally. Can you imagine those 20 years of pent-up aggression? 20 years. He kind of just had his cool. And now this verse said he had enough. He becomes angry and goes after Laban. But look how he goes after Laban. He does not attack him. 
He first sets up his own character. His defense is his character first. He says, what is my offense? What is my sin? That you hotly pursue me. For you have felt through all of my goods and you found all of, have you found all of your household goods? See it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten from your rams of your flock. What was torn by the wild beast I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. For my hand you required of it. Whether stolen by the day or stolen by the night. There I was by day and the heat consumed me in the cool of the night. And my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house and I have served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years your flock that you may have charged me my wages ten times. The God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side. Surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. God saw my affliction and my labor and my hands and rebuked you last night. In that moment, all the service of Jacob, all his pursuit of the Lord made sense to him. He did not defend his self without defending his honor and character before the Lord. He brought the Lord and said, God has done all this for me. He didn't simply say, I did all this. He says, this is what God has done for me. This is who I am as a man. You ought to know that. So he makes his defense. He's not defending himself. He's defending the honor of God. He's putting God on display in this moment. And I just wonder how often when it comes to our defense, I know for me how often I defend myself. And I, I try to justify my actions without ever going and pointing people to Christ and Christ alone. And now after defending His honor, really God's honor, He now points the finger at His uncle's character. I know what kind of man you are. He starts off when He first interacted with him. He says, I was afraid of you and I know you would have left me empty-handed. You are a shrewd man that needs the Lord. And in that moment, Laban answers in verse 43. He had finally met his match. He finally is going to be stumped. He's finally going to have no response. If you remember Laban, Laban always has a response for everything that happens. In that moment, after Jacob defends and honors God, Laban has absolutely no response. Though it sounds like a response. It says, Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day? But these my daughters or, and are their children whom they have borne. Come now and let us make a covenant. Basically what Laban is saying, I got nothing to say. Like He's trying to justify himself. This is mine, but it's really yours. He's just making a fool of himself. 
He's got no defense. And finally in that moment he says, let's make a covenant together. Let's make an agreement together. And the next few verses are that agreement. The agreement basically is summed up with this. Is that they'll make this pillar. And from the rest of their time, they'll never have an interaction together. And this is the last that we'll hear of Laban throughout the entire Bible. And basically what Laban says, is, hey, you go your way, I'll go my way. You serve your God, I'll serve my gods. And we'll have nothing to do with each other ever again. Not that a sad way to end a story. Like here it is 20 years in the making. And all that Laban had to do was simply repent. To be reconciled back to his family. But he could not humble himself under God's mighty hand in repentance. And so we read it and think, oh, this is a great covenant. No, it's not a, it's not a great covenant. It's not a great promise. It's simply a promise that they'll never interact ever again. And we see that in verse 55. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned home. And then never again will we hear about this man. Now you and I have to come to this text and say, what, what does this have to do with us? What does Jacob's case have to do with us? What does Jacob's travel have to do with us? What does Laban's pursuit, Jacob's defense, and this agreement have to do with us, the church? Well, if you read this text carefully, and you flip forward about seven or eight pages, maybe more than that, you get into Leviticus, this story is a representation of what's going to happen to the people of Israel. The people of Israel are going to face a cruel and wicked person, Pharaoh. And in so doing, they're going to grow and grow and grow larger and larger. Right? That's what happened. For If you read the account, we're going to get to chapter 50. Chapter 50 is where the Israelites get into the bondage of Egypt. But then they begin to grow and become this mighty nation. And in this mighty nation, Pharaoh begins to fear for his land. He begins to fear for his stuff the same way that Laban did. And Pharaoh then says, hey, I've got to make sure that this country doesn't get too big because if it gets too big, it's going to overtake me. They become a threat the same way that Jacob had become a threat. Jacob's family began to grow just like the Israelites begin to grow. If you know the end of the story of the Exodus story, remember that when the Israelites leave, they finally leave, they plunder, they take all of Egypt's stuff the same way that God had blessed Jacob through plundering Laban's stuff. He will bless the people of Israel through the gifts and the goods of Egypt. The same way that Laban had finally forced Jacob to leave, the wicked, wicked Pharaoh will force the Israelites to leave. So there's this moment in our history that says, hey, there's this growing number of people that have been under bondage for a long time. And that God is going to set them free. The truth for us is this what 
is a foreshadow. These two stories, the stories that are going to come for the rest of the Old Testament are this, that God is going to grow His people. And in God growing His people, His people will become a threat to the arch enemy, Satan. And Satan's going to want to attack and Satan's going to divide and Satan's going to want to destroy us because he knows if we become a mighty nation, then we have great threat to his kingdom. But what we'll see is this, that Jesus is always with us. That Jesus will always be with us. That Jesus will always watch over us. And that Jesus will lead us into deliverance the same way that He did Jacob, the same way that He did the Israelites. That God will send Christ to redeem His people, to be the church. And God's going to continue to do that as us. We are His chosen nation, the church. That He will lead into the promised land. And so my hope for us this morning is this. My hope is this, that you and I, if you're here this morning, you're no longer stuck under the bondage of Satan. And the truth is this, you need a Savior to release you from the bondage of a great, great enemy. The same way that in verse 3, in Genesis 31, that Jacob heard, I am with you. That you this morning will hear that God is with you. And that He will lead you. And He will take care of you. And He will provide for you. And He will always lead you out. My hope is this, that you won't be like Rachel, to hear that the Lord is with you. And you'll have a moment or a lapse of judgment and think, I know God is with me, but I still need this stuff. That unlike Rachel, you and I will leave here empty-handed of any gods that you and I have. Whatever it is in your life or in my life that I think I'll need for security, that you will leave here empty-handed. Because if you leave here with things in your hand, I promise this, it will lead to great disaster. I just wonder if those gods had remained in Laban's tent, would Laban ever have pursued them? I doubt it. And so for us this morning, let us lay aside any God that we pursue so that God can show us through Christ Jesus that we are free and we are free indeed and that He delivers us from the bondage of hell, the bondage of Satan, and the power of Satan this morning. Let us pray together. God, I pray that we would be reminded that You do. You are the One that delivers us. The same way that You delivered Jacob. The same way that You delivered the Israelites. You desire to deliver Your people. I pray if there's anyone hidden here or listening online this morning that is not free, that this would be the morning they would surrender their will and their life over to You. That they would be free. That they would see that Your great power breaks them of the bondage of sin, and of death. God, I pray for us this morning that our believers know that You are with us, but we struggle like Rachel and we take things into our hands that we think will bring us comfort, pleasure, security. 
We pray this morning that You would allow us to leave here empty-handed, trusting and obeying You. Not in some wooden idol. And God, lastly, I pray this. That we would be patient the way Jacob was to hear from You. That if there's anything going on in our lives, God, that we would simply be patient and hear from You. Because Your words will always ring true for us. I will always be with you. You will lead and guide us every step of the way. I pray that would be true for us this morning. Thank you for the exodus from the bondage of sin and death and Satan's reign. We're so grateful for what you did for us, Christ Jesus. I pray this in your mighty and famous name. Amen. Please rise for the benediction this morning. The Apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Because He will, after He has done all these things and you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace be with you. Please join us uh, Wednesday night.